Well, I greet you in Jesus' name. Thank you for that update, Roger. That was a blessing to hear a glimpse of, of uh, Mexico. And thank you, Dr. Drew. That was a good lesson for all of us. Check our knee-jerk reactions. 1983 was the year. Sydney, Australia was the place. An ultra-marathon was the event. Ultra-marathon? And I'm, first of all, I've heard about the 10Ks in Shenandoah, and I heard about 5Ks, and oh, that's maybe a little more my style. And I, then I heard of a marathon, know a few folks that ran one, heard of a half-marathon, and now I heard of an ultra-marathon. 1983, Sydney, Australia, hosted an ultra-marathon from Sydney to Melbourne. And I think the total was about four, uh, 543 miles. So that's, to put it in perspective, uh, you want to run north, you're going to run about to uh, somewhere around Augusta, Maine, halfway up through Maine. Or you want to run south, you can drop down close to where uh, Anna Mary hangs out in the, in the, in the wintertime. I think it came real close to Myrtle Beach. Or you want to run west. Uh, Creation Museum. Anybody in? They have the race. 150 world-class runners show up. Sculpted bodies training for months. Running gear. I should say class running gear. On the same day, these 150 uh, runners were milling around talking about this race. Here comes a 61-year-old 60, potato farmer. Anyone 61 here? I had to do that. 61-year-old <laughs> potato farmer. He didn't have his teeth in. He normally wore false teeth, but he took them out because when he runs, it, yeah, they, they rattle a bit. He showed up with overalls, work boots with galoshes, which some kind of waterproof tinglys. He walks over to the registration table. And it's like everybody's like, they want to sign up. Have you run a race? Nope. Have you trained? Nope. What brings you here? Got a little time? Want to run? So the incredulous staff said, here's your number. Run. Gun goes off. The bystanders snicker as Cliff Young takes off, and he's left in the dust. 150 guys out front with their trained and their science and their gear, and the snickers broke into laughter as he started to run. 
And maybe some of you have actually trained for running and know some of these terms, but he coined a term that day called the young shuffle. Okay? And that's why they laughed. I guess there's a certain stride when you run. He just kind of... Somebody said, somebody should stop that crazy old man before he kills himself. Everybody knew how to run the race. Science. Run 18 hours, stop and sleep six. Run 18, repeat. Five, six days. Not Cliff. He just shuffles along. Steady. That's the word. Steady. That's why I'm using this illustration. Steady. Five days, 15 hours, and four minutes later, you want to guess who came shuffling across the finish line? Yes. 61-year-old Cliff came across the finish line. He won. 61-year-old potato farmer in overalls with uh, work boots and tinglys and, no, and not wearing his teeth. And he didn't win by a few seconds. He didn't win by a few minutes. He didn't win by an hour or two. He won by nine hours and 56 minutes, basically 10 hours. No professional training, no gear, just some experience. He was a farmer, potato farmer, and he had sheep. He used to round up like close to 2,000 sheep on about 2,000 acres. He, had, he didn't have the luxury of horses or four-wheel drives. Sometimes to round his sheep up, he would literally run for three days to get his sheep in. In fact, that was his testimony of his mindset. He said, as I ran, I just thought, I'm getting my sheep. I'm getting my sheep. I'm getting my sheep. And that was his, that, that was his mindset. They say much of life is about your mindset. We're going to get to that in the text. Interestingly enough, after that incredible endurance, steady endurance, that's my word, steady endurance. Interestingly enough, the professional runners began to study this shuffle. And they figured out that this old farmer was, was putting into practice some aerodynamics and energy efficiency that they missed. So they handed Cliff Young $10,000. That was the prize. He said, oh, there's a prize for this. He said he didn't know it. He said, I don't really need it. His, his income was extremely meager. I read it somewhere. I forget the exact figure, so I don't want to quote it. He said, I don't need it. He looked at the other five that finished behind him. He said, they probably need it more than me. And he split it up five ways, gave each two. That was none for himself. I don't know about you, but I like that story. Uh, the details are interesting. 
Why did I share that story? Steady. Steady endurance. Victory in the Christian life comes through steady endurance. The Christian life is not a hundred yard dash. It's more like a marathon or an ultra marathon. It requires endurance and steady endurance. You want to run a short distance? It's all about speed. Not a, a long distance run. And the Bible often references the Christian life as a race. Another analogy about the Christian life is a warfare. Uh, analogies are, are provide incredible lessons in life. And the Bible uses quite a few analogies. I have not yet found a, a picnic or a vacation or a carried to the skies in flowery beds of ease or the American uh, dream or health and wealth or I have not found that analogy in reference to the, to the Christian life. One of the, one of the saddest pictures that I have seen in my life and no doubt you have seen in your life is somebody giving up. And I know I, probably, I think I shared this story before. I'm not sure where or when or which message, but I remember at least reading the story of a swimmer. It was a, a, a female swimmer that, that swam the English Channel both ways, first female to do that, and she wanted to accomplish the uh, swimming from the Catalina Island to mainland California, and she did it. Well, no, she tried. She, she swam for 15 hours from Catalina Island to mainland California, and she, she got into this intense fog. Does that ring a bell, anybody? And she was in, in, in intense fog. And the boats were right beside her saying, go, 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 you're soon there. And she literally was just so exhausted. And the fog did something emotionally. She couldn't see. And she gave up. And she got in the boat. She was so close. And she said the next day, she said, if that wouldn't have been for the fog, I know, I just know if I could have saw the mainland, it would have gave me something to focus on and I could have made it. In, in Galatians, Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, you did run well, but, that, but who did hinder you? So my, my encouragement this morning is endurance and steady. I've seen a lot of dashers that impressed me for a year, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten. I have gained a whole new appreciation for a group of people. They're in their 60s, they're in their 70s. Yay, 80s. And they're steady. You might never read a book about them. You might not ever see, read of a, an exploits or... They're steady, solid. Hebrews 12 is my text. And I'd like you to turn there with me. Hebrews 12, I'm going to read four verses. And if I get through these four verses, I'm going to summarize verses 5 through 11. 
because I think it's the crux of the matter. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. I guess if you want a title, it's going to be a disciplined runner or discipline for the race. Wherefore, seeing we are come past about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down by the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, that's Jesus, consider Jesus, that endured such contradiction against sinners, of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. You have not resisted unto blood and striving against sin. I'm going to stop reading there. Let's just, let's just stop for a minute and get the context. So the context here, uh, I really believe what we're, we, to really get a hold of the context, uh, well, let me back up and say, let me spread the whole book of Hebrews open a little bit. And somebody said this that stuck with me. You can divide the book of Hebrews into four warnings. The Hebrews is, you may have heard that. The, the book of Hebrews is about warnings. And he said you can, you, can, you can divide it very equally into four warnings. And we're, get, we're dropping into the text of the last warning. And the last warning is falling back or giving up or whatever you want to call it. Hebrews 10 Verse 38 says, The just shall live by faith. If any man draw back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So I really believe that's the fairest context. The fairest context of Hebrews 12 is going back to Hebrews 10. Here's faith. The just live by faith. And if you draw back, you backslide from a life of faith, God says, my soul will have no pleasure in him. But we're not of those. That's, that's the way of perdition. That's strong terms. I'm not sure what a certain form of, of uh, theology or soteriology does with, with some of these verses, but he's saying that, that's the way to destruction, giving up. But... Holding on, believing to the saving of the soul. And then we got Hebrews 11. We're talking about context. Hebrews 11 is illustrate that point illustrated. So we have that point illustrated with, you name them. They're all there, starting with Abel. And, and let me just summarize a bit of what I just saw in Hebrews, as I ran, Hebrews 11 as I ran through it several times, getting the context for, for my text. I saw Enoch, a man of faith, didn't die. Wow. That's a man of faith, right? I saw Noah. He survived the flood. I mean, wouldn't that be exciting? That's, that's faith. Uh, while the whole world is judged, him and his, he and his family are saved. I saw Abraham, that, old, that man, 100 years old, had a child. And from that child at 100, uh, begat a nation that, that was said you couldn't even count them. It was kind of like the sand in the, sea, sand in the seashore or the stars in the sky. That's a man of faith. I read about Moses and how he split the Red Sea, took his people to safety right behind him. All the Egyptians died in the Red Sea. They perished. And then I read about the walls of Jericho falling down. I mean, we're talking about faith, and I'm getting pumped, right? I like it. That's faith. 
And then the famous preacher's statement in Hebrews 11, verse 36. No, I'm sorry, verse 32. And time's running out. It's there, verse 32. Time's, I could go on and on, but time's running out. And that's, in my mind, I, I kind of shift gears and maybe even stop there. And I wonder if you ever did too. Don't stop there. Read on. There's another group of people in Hebrews 11. We're talking about context. We're talking about, we're talking about illustrated faith in the lives of, of uh, men and women. Did you ever read about verse 36? It says, and others. Others. Still on the subject of faith, not turning back. They had cruel mockings, they had scourgings, they had bonds, they were in prison, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder. That was probably referencing to Isaiah, which is thought to have been sawed right in half by evil King Manasseh. Some were tempted, they were slain with a sword, they wandered in sheepskins and goatskins and destitute, afflicted, tormented. Ah, oh, I, I, I like I like point A under Hebrews 11 better, right? It's all faith. Who says point A is more noble than point B in Hebrews 11? I just shared that for context, and now we come into Hebrews 12. Wherefore, and somebody said, whenever you have a therefore or wherefore, you go, stop, don't just start reading there, because go back and see what it's there or wherefore. So with all that in mind, we should remember or see that we are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. I used to think that we're kind of like in a grandstand and, all, and Abel and Noah are sitting in the spectators and run, Myers down, run, you can do it. I'm not sure that's fair. I think it's more fair to say that just think about this great cloud of witnesses. They, are, they bore testimony. Witness, that word witness actually means martyr. They bore testimony to a life of faith. Now it's your turn. Run. And I'll share three simple points from this text that I think will help you, I know it will help me to be disciplined. I should probably stop here and get a little grade from everyone, a subconscious grade. Just grade yourself on a discipline. I look at some people and I say, no, that, that's, a, that's a disciplined man or disciplined woman. Did you ever look at somebody and say, they need discipline? Don't look at anybody else but yourself in a one to ten. One, very, very undisciplined. Ten, extremely disciplined. If you miss anything, that's, if there's a goal in this message, that, that's what I want, that's where I'm aiming. I'm aiming at my discipline. I wrote a a uh, hundred and some mile bike ride one time, and that was probably the biggest, closest to an ultra marathon that I ever got or ever will get. 
There's about six of us. Four of us were fairly disciplined. Two were pretty busy and grabbed their bikes and said, let's go. And you, know, you want to know the rest of the story? It was very hard to stay together. In fact, we actually got split up. And that was before the day of cell phones. And if there's, if there's an area that I'm aiming is disciplined. Are, are you disciplined for the race? Here's the first area that I think that we all need to brush up or get serious. And that's to lay aside the weights and the sins that so easily beset us. And that word beset means just the ensnare, just pull you down. It doesn't say sins slash weights. It's weights and sins. So there are weights that will bog you down. And I can spend a life, and bog me down, and I can spend a lifetime saying, what's, chill, what's wrong with that? And I probably, and you probably couldn't really give, it's just hard to lay out exactly why it's best not to do some things. Lay aside every weight and sins. And you know, this, th th this, I'm speaking from my heart. I know what it's like to carry a sin. And you do too. And you won't finish the race. You won't. If you're holding on to sin, don't expect to finish the race. You won't. You might have a year process of rationalizing it and saying somehow, I don't have to deal with it. And you'll finally get to the point, James says that you, a man can actually look in the mirror and forget what manner of man he is. I don't, it doesn't matter what the sin is. You cannot run the race and finish the race with sin. The Holy Spirit is so gentle, but so convicting. And he will not allow a child of God to run the race with sin. He can't. He's so gentle. So don't, 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 don't think you'll make it. There's people that don't want to deal with things, that they want to hide things they did as a teenager and hide it and pretend it never happened or didn't happen. I'm just saying, there's a way. And it's the gentle arms of Jesus who says, come, if any man confesses sins, he, I, I, faithful, just, and forgive. And, and we know, we know that, we know that path, right? We know the path of, of, of being real and being honest. This is a sad story. Uh, now we're going back to 1845. Some of you may have read about the Franklin Expedition. Uh, sailed from England to find a passage across the Arctic Ocean. Lord Franklin, I forget his first name. And there was a lot of pomp and show as they sailed off England to try to find this passage across the Arctic. 
and they had several sailing ships. But it, that's an interesting read. They took things they did not need. They took libraries. <laughs> really? <laughs> libraries. They took uh, fine china. They took goblets, uh, silverware. All the officers had their initials engraved in the handles of the silverware. I guess they thought this is really going to be renowned. World. Well, it turned out to be a very tragic expedition. Everyone died. The, the ships became trapped in a, in a, in a, a frozen, frozen plains of ice. And after a long time, Lord Franklin died, one of the first ones, the, the, uh, the captain. And the men decided to, to try to somehow trek to safety. So they split up into small groups, but not one survived, not one. But one of the saddest pictures of that whole story is they found two officers frozen, dead, pulling a cart. They had traveled 65 miles across ice from their ship. And they were pulling a little cart and on that cart was fine china, sterling silverware, and all kinds of things that they thought was valuable. Would have that made the difference? Maybe not. My mind of that, really, I guess silverware in China really isn't that precious to me, but what about and you fill in your blank and I fill in my blank. We're talking about laying aside weights and sins that so easily beset us. I, I guess I'd like to be a little, little more like a rookie, rookie runner in Shenandoah. I'll keep his identity uh, undisclosed. But this rookie runner, first time running in Shenandoah, the 10K, was running alongside of a pretty eh, amateur runner named Brian Good. Ring a bell? Yeah. Brian Good places well in that 10K, I understand. And this rookie runner's running beside him, and they're just running out of town getting started. And this amateur runner tells the rookie runner, you ought to get rid of something. And I forget exactly what it was, like a water bottle or something. And this rookie runner forgot, didn't quite understand what he said. So he took his wallet, and he took his cell phone, true story, and he pitched it by a tree in town Shenandoah. And he ran the race and came back and got his cell phone and, and wallet. And Brian Good said, I didn't mean that. I wonder what you are and what, uh, what I am carrying along that is, is ensnaring us. And I, I, I'm going to venture to say that I, I think there's some of us here that God will speak softly and clearly and show us what to lay aside and show us what to deal with and what to confess. Don't ever, ever, ever think you're going to make it living alive. Secondly, run with patience, the Bible says. L let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And I'm a, I think the Cliff Young story kind of illustrates this point. It, it's, it's endurance. And there are times in life when life and the trials become so intense. And there's sometimes, 
I really believe, if we, you know, we can use the, we can use the analogy of the, uh, this ultra marathon, and I, there's a picture of Cliff Young stopping alongside of the road and drinking and eating, and I'm sure he slept some, he's very little, but he slept some. And there's times in life where you're, it's going to feel like all we're doing is holding on. Actually, the Bible often says, hold fast, stand strong. I personally think there's a time to run with all your might and a time where it's so intense, so foggy, if you will, so foggy, that all you can do is just, just, just hold, somehow get a little rest. And that's why I've just grown to appreciate uh, steady Christians year after year. Uh, solid, steady. I don't know if you read this one. Was this just la this last week? I'm not sure. Uh, the man, the the, the, uh, the teenager in the graveyard. How many? How many read it? Got a fair amount. Good. And if you have it sticking some sticking away somewhere, read it. Story of John. That's that's John Kurtz. He's in the graveyard and he's looking at eleven, ten or eleven tombstones of his siblings. Diphtheria era. A couple days, five of his siblings died. In fact, all of them. Five other of his siblings were, died as infants. And they're John Kurtz's. And his dad, he echoes the words of his dad. Steady, dad. I'm talking about endurance. I'm talking about steady. I'm talking about running with patience. Dad says, you know, God's got plans. We're going to trust God's plans. And that man wondered why he wasn't taken with all his siblings. But he grew up to be a, a warrior in God's kingdom, and God had a plan. I'm talking about steady. I'm talking about running. I'm talking about days of fog, intense fog, where we're tempted to get into the boat, but we keep on going. And I'm not sure if I'm qualified to preach this. I don't know what all it means. It's different for all of us. Running with patience, that's enduring. Thirdly, last key, maybe the best, the greatest, is look to Jesus. I believe laying aside is a discipline. I believe enduring, running with patience is a discipline. And I believe this is a discipline, looking to Jesus. Focus. Where are you looking? You know, it is so easy and it bothers me how easy it is to focus on yourself. Anybody with me? How does it look? How am I looking? How? And you just got this self-focus. I read a very interesting devotional recently that said something like this. The Holy Spirit will always help you take your focus off of you, off of others, and get it on Jesus. And I, that is so true. Show me a man that walks in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'll show you a man that this doesn't really talk about himself that much. And he just got his eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, looking through the fog, looking through it all, and, and focusing on Jesus. He's the author. He wrote it all. He's the first runner. He's... 
And he, he also finished it, the beginning, the end, the author, the finisher. He's everything. And I wonder how many of our eyes are on Jesus. Do you see him? Do you see Jesus? Do, do, do you, can you honestly, through the fall, can you see his arms open wide? Can you see him? Can you see the tender love in his eyes? Or do you see a God that looks like he's angry at you because of the events that you're facing that don't fit your age? Can you see Jesus? Can you see your Lord, your Savior? He's touched. He's moved. He, he feels your pain. It's in the negative in Hebrews that says we are, he is not touched by the feelings of our infirmity. In other words, he is touched with, with, with how, we, how we feel because he's, he's been there. I like the forerunner picture here, and I think that's very safe. It's in the context of a race, and I think if, he, uh, if I'm doing a paraphrase, I'm going to say, and look at Jesus, he ran, he ran the race in front of you. So everything that you are facing, he in some way can relate to you. Roger's sharing about uh, Mexico, and it just, it just struck me. You know, he, he's responsible to give care to the caregivers. And I'll guarantee you those caregivers can feel that Roger's been there. He provided care as a single. And we can't always empathize with people that are suffering. We can't always do that. But when we are, have the privilege to empathize, I'll guarantee you that the people that we're ministering to can feel it. There's a story told about on a third world, third world mission where, where a, a board member and his wife came down to, to give encouragement and support and and. This, they were at a, they were at a, uh, at the facility, the worship facility, if you'll call it that. It's very primitive and had some outdoor outhouses and, you know, not really uh, state of the art. And unfortunately, the board member's wife needed to use the restroom and she asked the missionary, she said, can you can you take me back to your house? Because I really don't want to use. My point is forerunning. Been there. Jesus. He's been there. And if you ever forget about it, we're talking about mindset here. The mindset is lest you be consider him Lest you get weary and faint in your minds. And, you know, if you, if you stop running, just like that swimmer stop, and her, her, her own testimony was, it was, in my, it was in a mind thing. If I could have saw it. So there's a discipline what you put in your mind. Can you see, can you see Jesus? And then just, just run down through Jesus' life. And you talk, whatever you're facing, I mean, Jesus... I guess one of the, I'm guessing one of these points is going to get close to almost all of our sufferings. He was born to an unwed mother and he lived in disgrace. He got called names for that. He lived in poverty. His life was threatened as a baby. He had nowhere to lay his head. He had no comfort zone. Incredible opposition in ministry. He was charged with being out of his mind and using the devil's power. He was even opposed by his family. 
He was rejected. He was hated by audiences. He was betrayed by a very close friend. He was left alone and finally forsaken by all friends. He was falsely accused. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was spit on. He was stripped. He was slapped. And he was put to death in one of the most disgraceful ways known to a human being. And the Holy Spirit, through the fall, will always, always help us look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And when I can do that, and when you can do that, there's going to be something that happens emotionally and, it's, and a supernatural spiritual charge. Discipline number one, lay aside. Discipline number two, run with patience. Discipline number three, look to Jesus. I wonder if we're building up to the main point, which I'm not even going to get to, but I did. Read verses 5 through 11 in your spare time. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see God's, it, the, the biblical word in the KJV is chastening. Discipline. And I think to summarize verses 5 through 11, it's lifting up the beauty of being disciplined by God. And so many times in a discipline session, you know, a child, it's kind of hard for them to see it at the moment when the discipline is coming, and it hurts. But after it's all over, the child looks back, and there's something else, even a smile, and maybe sometimes a thank you. If not, a clear countenance. And I believe that God arranges things in our lives to just maybe not Maybe not, we, 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 this whole chastening discipline is a very complex subject. I think Paul was even disciplined. You know, Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. There's something about Satan was allowed to do him. And it, was, and it was so he does not get puffed up. So there's things happen in our lives. God is so jealous of a disciplined child. I mean, let's, let's take the human child for a moment to help us understand. I'm summarizing 5 through 11. You show me a disciplined child, okay? I'm going to suggest that, that that child is pretty much appreciated. It, it is hard not to appreciate a disciplined child. On the flip side, did, has anyone ever seen an undisciplined child? Is there a natural gravitation to you that... Oh, that's so beautiful. I'm telling you, God is so jealous of disciplined children. You're going to find in those, you're going to find nugget after nugget after nugget in Hebrews, 5, Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. Things like this. If God's disciplining you, number one, confirmation of love. Number two, confirmation of a sonship. And then there's some words in there that I don't normally use in my vocabulary, especially the KJV's word. If you don't, if you're not experiencing it, you're almost like a castaway, illegitimate child. 
I guess, and then it goes right from there and talks about uh, being at peace with everybody. Ah, oh, got it. So discipline often involves other people. Be at peace with all men. And then it follows up with, don't be bitter, because many are going to be destroyed. And it's starting to, to me, in my mind, it's starting to all make sense as we flow through the context. But that's, like I said, a summary of verses 5 through 11. You're going to have to enjoy it at your own leisure. And I, again, want to ask and beg myself, you, don't, don't just remember Cliff Young, okay? Ask the question, what can I lay aside? Am I really willing to swim through the fog? Am I really willing to do, do, do I have? And maybe sometimes you're so weak you need somebody else to come beside you. You're gonna find that in the text too. Lift up the feeble hands. And thirdly, looking to Jesus. Three disciplines that I'm gonna guarantee is going to help you and help me finish the ultra marathon. And I don't really care if you're a stride ahead of me or if I'm, if I'm a stride ahead. It's, it's like a together race. The point is, will we all finish? That's the point. Let's all stand for a closing prayer. And Nate, after the prayer, if you just have a song or a chorus, then be dismissed. Father in heaven, here we are this morning. We're your people, and we love you. We love your word. Thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word sanctifies us. It's, it works in us. It challenges us. It even divides soul, spirit. And we want your word to, we want to be washed in your word and be gentle with all of us and be very specific. Don't let one of us carry one thing along in life that could make a difference. Show us the beauty of casting off weights or confessing sin or whatever it is. Give us that mutual determination of being steady. And Lord, ultimately, just keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on you as we endeavor to worship and please you and walk with you. Bless us to that end and make us a blessing. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.